Well, good morning. Happy Sabbath to you all. It is a Sabbath day. And one day I've heard expression that we are one Sabbath closer to the coming of the Lord. It's a pleasant thought. But uh, not trying to be negative, I want to mention this, the fact that we are actually one Sabbath closer to go home. But unless the gospel will be preached to them for a witness, we are going to be here. So this work needs to be accomplished. And uh, we started about six years ago. We received a call from CBN, and they asked us if we can produce programs so they can broadcast to Iran. And uh, between myself and Pastor Gerald, we speak five languages, and uh, one of them is Farsi. We began the production, and as the shows began to hit the air, they told us that it will take three to six months for you to receive responses. As the show will be noticed, it takes time. And uh, the moment the first show was on the air, the calls began to come. And the first caller was a young woman who was crying on a phone, leaving a message that she had prepared the instruments of suicide to take her life. She said, my TV was on, and your program came up. I watched the program, and I changed my mind. Please pray for me. The title of the show was, God has a plan for your life. When we received these calls, we understood, and we were actually so moved. God has millions, although there is no churches around, I have no Bible, there is no Christians around. I don't know where to go. I don't have a Bible. Brother, did I make a mistake by accepting Jesus as my Savior? And uh, Gerald asked her a question, do you have a Quran? And uh, just for your knowledge, that uh, in the Quran, you can find the scriptures taken from the New Testament, verses that says about Jesus that he is the son of Mary, he is the Messiah, he is the son of God, he is the savior of the world, that he is to be followed and obeyed. He is resurrected from the dead, he is in heaven now. The list of probably 35, 40 statements from New Testament saying this about Jesus. And uh, as he guided her through the scriptures, he asked her, take this book, Sit next to your husband and read to your husband these passages from Quran. She doesn't have a Bible. And he promised her to call her in about a week. And we forgot. Three months later, the call came from this lady. And she was so excited that she's speaking to the same person. And here's what she said. I have shared these scriptures with my husband from Quran. Since then, every time he leaves home going to work, he is kissing my hands. 
my two sons reconciled with me and I apologized in a large family gathering. They love me. Doctors took me to the hospital. They opened me up. They did not find any tumor. They saw me back. I am well back home. And uh, here's what I will do. I have some savings, some funds, which I intend to go to Armenia, the neighboring country. I will buy a parcel of land in that country, and I will build a church for my people to come and worship freely Jesus Christ. And uh, we did not take it seriously. A few months later, we received a call from Armenia. The same lady is calling us and saying, I am already in Armenia. I have bought a parcel of land. We are now 15 people. We are building a church. Please send to us all the information that you have. Let me tell you just one quick story here. There was a young atheist in Russia who at age 20 was drafted to serve in the Russian army. And from the south part of Russia, they have taken him all the way to Siberia. He spent there two years. After two years, he came back home. And by the way, for those of you who do not know what Siberia is, uh, if you would take a glass of water, go outside at winter time, which is eight-month winter, and begin to pour out the water on the ground. By the time the water touches the ground, it becomes ice. So when that young man came back home after two years of service in Siberia, he was very seriously ill, spent six years in hospitals, and after six years, doctors told him that you have one year to live. And as I mentioned, this was an atheist, a person who did not believe in the existence of God. And imagine what can go through the mind of an atheist when you have before you just one year of life, and that is a life of misery and pain. But by the grace of God, somebody has given him the Bible at the time. As he began to read the Word of God, he believed that there is a God. And as he began to follow the principles that found in the Bible, at the same time, the wife of that young man has found a book called Ministry of Healing, translated into Russian. And as they began to read the Bible and the Ministry of Healing, and act upon the principles that found in these books, the health of that young man began to improve, and it was restored. For six years, doctors could not do anything. The Word of God has done it. Twenty-five years ago, that young man was given one year to live. And it's by the grace of God alone that he is standing before you today. Isn't God gracious? And God has some grace for you today. But for that, I invite you to open your Bibles with me and follow the scriptures that we're about to visit. I have several passages that we will need to go through today. And by the time we finish... By the grace of God, as you walk out from the sanctuary, you will not be the same as you came in. Not a single amen. You don't believe it, huh? Well, I believe that the word of God has power. 
Whether you believe it or not, it will happen. An artist's daughter lost her sight at infancy. Her blindness was considered incurable. And for years after her mother passed away, her father was her constant companion. Then a new surgical technique promised to restore her vision. And as she lay recuperating in her hospital bed, her brightest thought was, now I shall see my father. The day came when the bandages were taken away. She opened her eyes and for the first time she saw her father. As he embraced her, she exclaimed, I have had a good-looking father all these years and I didn't even know it. My dear brothers and sisters, we have such heavenly father and so many not even knowing how loving, merciful, compassionate, gracious, holy, and just our Father is. And the reason is because a true picture of God was distorted in the Garden of Eden, but it was restored on the cross of Calvary. Today, I will attempt to Draw that beautiful, undistorted picture of God before your eyes. So when you behold that picture, you will crave to behold it again and again. And as you will do it by coming to the cross every day of your life, you will be changed into the likeness of what you behold. In a special way I want to address this morning, our people, Let me see hands how many young people we have in the audience today. Well, then uh, the rest of you who did not left hands, I assume you are putting yourself in the category of old. (laughs) Well, for all of you, my dear brothers and sisters, young and old, whatever you count yourself to be, This message for all of you, but especially for young people. Life will throw challenges at you. Your boat will be rocked. It will be. You don't believe me? Ask your parents or grandparents. Your faith will be shaken. You will come to the point that if you don't have an anchor, who is Jesus Christ, your boat may sink. And that's why I intend to address this in a special way to you guys, my dear young people. I have heart for you because I know you will have some challenges. You are like any other generation are exposed to so much today. And that's why you need this anchor that holds fast. I will lay the foundation for about 15 minutes. And if you endure those 15 minutes, you will get a blessing. Actually end up on a springboard from which you can dive into the hands of the loving Father. You ready to take a journey with me to the foot of the cross? Okay. 
I'll begin with a statement that is found in the Gospel of Lucas, page 315. It says, The sacrifice of Christ as an atonement for sin is the great truth around which all other truths cluster. In order to be rightly understood and appreciated, every truth in the Word of God, from Genesis to Revelation, must be studied in a life that streams from the cross of Calvary. At the very heart of the gospel message is the truth concerning the cross of Christ. Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 1.18 said that the message, the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us it is the power of God. I hope you're hearing that, that the power of God is in the preaching of the cross. And it is Satan's determined purpose to enshroud the truth of the cross in darkness. And in this, he has had some measure of success. By convincing the Christian church to believe a lie that man possesses an immortal soul, he has robbed the cross of its glory. You see, if man possesses an immortal soul, then death is not goodbye to life, but simply separation of the soul from the body. In which case, that which constitutes Christ's supreme sacrifice was nothing else but just torture and shame of the cross. No different than from those two thieves crucified next to him. In fact, think about this. Those two thieves suffered longer on the crosses. In addition, their legs were broken. The other factor that has robbed the cross of receiving the crucifixion of Christ from the Roman point of view. While it is true that Christ was crucified on a Roman cross, we must remember that it was not Romans who demanded his crucifixion, but the Jewish leadership. And for the Jewish leadership, the cross had a different meaning. It is only as we perceive the cross of Christ from the Jewish perspective, as did the New Testament writers, that we can begin to grasp the meaning of his supreme sacrifice that demonstrated his infinite and unconditional love for us, of which Apostle Paul said in Romans 5, while we were helpless, ungodly sinners, enemies of God, God had reconciled us to himself through the death of his son. Have you ever wondered why the cross made such a tremendous impact on the disciples and early Christians? The disciples spent three and a half years with Christ. They traveled with him. They have heard him preach. They were taught by Christ. They witnessed his tremendous miracles. Yet, at the end of three and a half years, they were still a group of greedy and self-seeking men. But then came the cross, and it completely transformed them. Now they were willing to give up all self-interest. They were willing to give their lives for Jesus Christ. Why? Because of what the cross meant to them. No wonder Apostle Paul says, I desire to know nothing among you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I want to glory in nothing else but Jesus Christ and him crucified. What is it that made the cross the central theme and the central subject of the New Testament preaching? I believe that if we will find the answer to this question, our churches will not be the same. But the problem is, that the devil knows the two, and he does his best to keep this truth in darkness. 
Have you ever wondered why is it that Paul is stating, emphasizing in the scripture reading, that Christ humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross? Why are these emphases there? You see, the problem of most Christians is that they look at the cross from the very narrow point of view. Yes, crucifixion was the most painful, shameful, and cruel way to kill a man, but it is if you see to it only from the Roman point of view. We know that even though Romans crucified Jesus, they were fulfilling the desire of the Jewish leadership. And for them, the cross had a different meaning. Crucifixion was not a Jewish custom. The custom was to stone Why then Jews are shouting, crucify him? Let's take a look at the cross from the Jewish point of view. A crucifixion was introduced by Phoenicians 600 years before Christ, later on adopted by Romans as the highest form of punishment for the worst criminals, runaway slaves. The Jews actually hated crucifixion, yet they are shouting in one accord, crucify him. And Jesus submitted to it even to the death of the cross. What did Jews have in mind? When did they cry out, crucify him? Apostle Paul said that God did not spare his son in Romans 8.32. What is it that God did not spare his son from? From death. But which death? Was it first death which God calls sleep? Or it is second death, eternal death. Open your Bibles with me now to the Gospel of John, chapter 19, please. Gospel of John, chapter 19. This is the passage when Jesus is at Pilate's court. Pilate questioned Jesus and did not find anything in him deserving death. Yet, the Jews in verse 7 saying... We have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die. What law are they referring here to? The same verse actually answering us, because he made himself the son of God, that is equal to God. Did they have a law that condemns the one who makes himself equal to God? Yes, the law of blasphemy. You will find this law in Leviticus 24. Leviticus 24, verse 16. I like to hear the pages flipping because that's where the power will come from. Leviticus 24, verse 16. It says, And whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. And all the congregations shall certainly stone him, the stranger as well as him who is born in the land. When he blasphemes the name of the Lord, he shall surely be put to death. This law, not only saying that person had to die, it tells us how person had to die. To be stoned. So the Jews are telling to Pilate, we have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die. Did they know 
how a person had to die or they forgot about it. Turn with me to the Gospel of John chapter 10 now. John chapter 10, verse 30 and 31. Jesus is talking to the Jews here. John 10, verse 30 and 31. It says, I and my Father are one. Verse 31. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Why did they pick up stones? Because they knew the law and they were executing the law. Why then they're asking Pilate to crucify Jesus, especially since the crucifixion was not the Jewish method of execution? It is because there was another law in which they were more interested in. You see, at the time of Jesus, the Jews of Christ's days identified crucifixion with hanging on a tree. To the Jew to be crucified meant that you have committed an unpardonable sin and being punished by irrevocable curse of God, the equivalent of the second death of New Testament, Revelation 20. By crying out, crucify him, the Jews actually was asking God to pour out his wrath, his curse, upon Jesus Christ that he may experience eternal death, goodbye to life forever. Let me give you a quick comparison here. And by the way, you must remember and to know that the Jews did not believe in the immortality of the soul. That was a Greek concept that came in later. Comparison between the death on the cross and dying, dying on a tree and dying by stoning. If a person is condemned to die by stoning for blasphemy, while he is being killed by stoning, he could turn to God in repentance and have hope for eternal life. God is gracious. But if the judge would say, after you are killed, you will be hanged on a tree, that person had no hope. That meant irrevocable curse of God. That meant to be forsaken by the life giver. That meant eternal death. I'll give you two references. You remember when Joshua brought Israelites into promised land. Five kings fought against Israelites. They joined their forces and went into battle. You see, they knew what took place in Egypt. Before Abraham went into the promised land, when he went to the promised land, God appeared to him and said in a dream, for 430 years, your descendants will be in a foreign land, in slavery. But when the iniquity of these people will be fulfilled, then I will bring them out and bring to this land. 430 years was given to these nations to repent. And then another 40 years. And what did they do? When the Israelites came, the light bearers, these nations gathered themselves together to fight against God's people. By doing that, they were fighting against God himself. So God gave victory to Israelites. They captured these five kings, and Joshua brought them before Israelites. And basically what he said is this. These people are not your enemies. They are enemies of God. Therefore, you shall kill them and hang them on a tree. Why? Why? 
to show that irrevocable curse of God was upon these people. In another instance, and the Jews rebelled, and in 70 AD the temple was destroyed. Romans were crucifying 50 Jews every single day. Those who rebelled against Romans and fought for the freedom of Israel. These people were heroes of Israel. In my country where I'm coming from, for these people, we were building monuments. Did you know that Jewish historians never mentioned the names of these heroes in their writings? Because for them, these people, like they never existed, they were forsaken by the life giver, they were accursed by God. That's how they consider them to be. And when Jesus was in the temple and said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up, the inspired writings are telling us that the Jews understood him very well that he meant his own body. And at the time of Jesus, the high priest was Caiaphas. Caiaphas belonged to the party of Sadducees. Sadducees did not believe in resurrection. Jesus challenged their belief by raising people from the dead. And by raising people from the dead and saying that I will rise in three days... The Sadducees became the most bitter enemies of Jesus. That's why they were raising up the crowd to cry out, crucify him. They wanted to be sure that he will never rise again and the memory of him will be forgotten. That's how they will hated Jesus and blinded their eyes. And that's why we need to pray for the leaders of our country that the rays of light will penetrate their hearts and minds. So, when Jews were shouting, crucify him, they were asking God to pour out that curse, the irrevocable curse, the wrath of God upon Jesus Christ. Did God do it? Yes or no? No and yes. I can hear different answers. I tell you what. For the sake of time, I will tell you <clears throat> the answer. Whether you say yes or no, you are right. Here's why. God did not curse Jesus Christ for blasphemy. Because Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But the curse that belongs to you and to me God allowed to fall on Jesus Christ on the cross. How can we know that? You remember in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, God came to the garden and he said, Cursed is the ground for your sake and will produce what? Thorns and thistles. What was on the head of Jesus when he was on the cross? The crown of thorns, the symbol of curse, the curse that was pronounced on our entire planet, on you and on me. Jesus Christ took upon himself on the cross. Let me reinforce this with another scripture. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3 verse 10. You can open your Bibles with me. Galatians chapter 3, it says, in verse 10, For as many as are of the works of the law are under 
the curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. You know what? Each one of you here, including me, in this category, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book. Take a look at verse 13 now. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Wow. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Do you see now the meaning of the death on the cross? His supreme sacrifice for you. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And when Jesus was on the cross, he cried out to his father, 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 why have you forsaken me? Did you know what father did? He looked at his son. He turned his face away from him and he said, let him die. Did you know why? When Jesus was on the cross, he changed his name into your name, to my name. And when Father looked at Jesus, he did not see Jesus. He saw you on the cross, and he said, let him die. What a gracious God we have. What a gracious God. And by the way, Jesus was not dying just instead of you. On the cross, Jesus Christ was dying as you. He was taking your second death. I have a good news for you. Your second death is not in your future. Did you know why? It already has fallen on Jesus Christ. You don't have to go through this unless you want it. You can find the proof to this fact that when Jesus was on the cross, Father turned his face away from him in Isaiah 53 and 59. Now, why? Why this thing took place? The answer is twofold. One is on account of sin. This is a big problem in the universe, and it has to be dealt with. Let me give you a radical definition of the sin. Sin is a blatant mutiny against God. And either sin or God must die in your life. If God rules in you, sin in your life will be killed. If sin rules in you, life of God in you will be killed. The culmination of sin was the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And what was true in the history of God on this earth will be true in your history and mine. That is, sin will kill the life of God in us. The other answer is, God loved us so much, God the Father and God the Son, that Jesus was willing to lose his own existence to save us. Let me tell you about that love. My dear young people, if you are awake, praise God. If not, you need to get up. John 17, 23. 
Jesus is praying to his father, 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 that they may know that you love them as you love me. I'll bring it home just by paraphrasing. Please listen to it. God the Father loves you not less than he loves Jesus Christ. Just two amends. Let me repeat, just in case you didn't hear that. God the Father loves you not less than he loves Jesus Christ. Wow. Can you believe that? Us, wretched people, he loves us not less than he loves his son. And then in John 59, Jesus is saying, just as much as Father loves me, I love you that much. We have God the Father who loves us infinitely. We have God the Son who loves us infinitely. And then Jesus does something radical. He goes to the cross. And on the cross, he is tempted three times. He went on the cross to sign with, with his own blood the statement that he just made. That every single human being may believe every word that is coming out of the mouth of God. He is tempted three times now on the cross. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross and save yourself. Could Jesus do it? Yes, he could. He is the son of God. But could Jesus, by coming down from the cross, save himself, save us also? At that same time, no, he had to make a choice. What choice did Jesus make? That choice that Jesus made, speak loudly. Those unspoken words that Jesus did not pronounce, but he left the cross to speak those words. That's why the cross has such a power. Let me tell you what I have heard in my heart and in my mind, one day as I was meditating on the cross, hear what Jesus wants to speak to every human being, to you and to me. And you are here not by accident today. Whoever you are, whatever country you came from, doesn't matter. Whatever color of skin you have, it doesn't matter. Whatever you have done in the past, it doesn't matter. I love you more than I love myself. That's the message of the cross. That's how much God loves you. That's who God is. Not the God who is standing there at the gate of the kingdom and trying to keep as many possible away. No. God wants everyone to be saved. He is after sin. He wants to eradicate sin in our lives because Sin will never rise again in his kingdom. And he wants to deal with this now. He wants not only to save us, he wants to restore us. You see what sin has done. When Adam has eaten that apple and God came, before sin, when Eve gave him an apple, you know what he did? He ate. You know what it says? He was sacrificing his life for Eve because he loved her more than he loved himself. He was willing to lose his life. The moment he sinned, that love, the image 
into which we were created, God is love. It was the, the love coming out of the human being like from God towards another person. The moment sin came into humanity, that arrow of love made 180 degree turn. That's what sin is. Love directed to self. We became selfish beings. God said, love is the fulfillment of the law. Love your neighbor and your God. In this too, you will fulfill the commandment. God wants to change, to fix that arrow, that from us, the love will flow towards one another and towards God. That's what God business is. Restoration. And by the way, according to Matthew one twenty one, salvation is not making to heaven. It's not to live there forever and ever. Salvation, according to Matthew one twenty one, is deliverance from sin. Bibles. So, the truth of the cross is that Jesus was willing to lose his own existence to save us. On the cross, he earned for us not suffer the agony of the cross just to forgive us and leave us in sin. On the cross, God had made sufficient provision to break the power of sin in our lives. Do you believe in this? He offers to us that solution, the life of his son, Jesus Christ. And maybe Revelation 3.20 will come to you in new, fresh light. I'm standing at the door and knock. Whoever will open, I will come in. By the way, the word knock here in original, it doesn't say knocking with hesitancy. It says Knocking with a sense of urgency because Jesus knows if he will not come in, sin will destroy us. The good news of this verse is this. God already lived in human flesh. Divinity indwelled humanity and he conquered sin in the flesh. He condemned sin in the flesh. And the reason why Jesus wants to come into your life and mine because he wants to repeat that same experience in our lives. Are we letting him to come in? And if we do, is he coming as a resident or just as a visitor? This will make all the difference. So, I have an assignment for you. If you want to have that experience with Jesus that will change you day by day into his image, We are to come to the foot of the cross every day of our lives. The moment you come to the foot of the cross and meditate on the sin of the cross, when God is seeing a grateful heart that appreciates the gift of his son, you know what his response is? He imparts the Holy Spirit into the person. By not coming to the cross, it costs you the Holy Spirit. But when he sees that appreciative heart, the Holy Spirit is imparted, and Ellen White said in Desire of Ages that impartation of the Holy Spirit is the impartation of the life of Christ. Here you have it. Jesus Christ living in you. And you know what? Jesus is not attracted to sin. Sin cannot exist in his presence. That's how we have victory over sin. Not with our own strength and backbone. No, by having Jesus in us, sin will be conquered in our lives. And even when you stumble, 
We have an advocate. God provided everything you need for your salvation. He thought of every single detail for us to spend eternity with him. He did not leave one stone unturned to save us. What is our response? Are we willing to take a time in the morning to come to the foot of the cross and appreciate what he has done? And here's Simon. Take three statements. Write it down. The cross of Christ. The blood of Christ. The death of Christ. Take your New Testament and concordance. Find in New Testament all the passages that is mentioning the cross of Christ, the blood of Christ, and the death of Christ. And I can guarantee in most of them you will find a promise, a blessing. Here's what I found. Let me just share with you a couple of them quickly. You can make a list of over 40 benefits of the cross. Through the cross or blood, or the death of Christ, we have justification, reconciliation, salvation, peace, resurrection from the dead, freedom from slavery to sin, purified conscience. We washed from sin. We are redeemed from the curse of the law. We are forgiven. We are adopted. We have grace. We have everlasting, ever-living advocate. We have eternal perfection. Have you heard of that? Hebrew 9.14. You have eternal perfection. Just in case if someone is striving to be perfect today, don't forget that the Bible says you already have eternal perfection in Jesus Christ. He cleansed us from sin. He freed us from the fear of death. And our enemy is conquered and rendered powerless. Take one or two of these benefits of the cross every morning of your life. Come to the cross and praise God for it. And you will have Jesus in you for another day. Can there be more joy than to spend the whole day with Jesus Christ? Wow. In London, there is a station, one of the subways of London. And on that station, they have a large cross. Everybody that passes through that station, immediately they know where they are and what direction to take from there. One day, a little girl was lost in the subway of London. As she was sitting on the sidewalk, she was crying. A policeman was walking by, and uh, he asked her, little girl, why are you crying? She said, I am lost, I am lost. She kept crying. And he said to her, give me your mom's phone number. I'll call her, she'll come and get you. That's the English logic. Very simple. And she said, I don't know my mom's phone number. Kept crying. And he said to her, well, tell me your home address, I will take you there. I don't know my home address, she said. Kept crying. And then he said, ask her again. Well, tell me the name of your street. I will take you there. We will find your home. I don't remember the name of my home, my street. And she kept crying. And then the policeman, somewhat (coughs) upset, he said to her with a change of his voice, well, tell me what do you know? Suddenly, that little girl stopped crying. There was a spark in her eyes, 
She wiped her tears and she said to him, if you can take me to the cross, I will find my way home from there. If you can take me to the cross, I will find my way home from there. My dear brothers and sisters, I hope today I was able to bring you to the foot of the cross. And I challenge you, don't let one day to pass by in your life without visiting the cross of Jesus. Coming to the foot of his cross, beholding him on the cross, and that amazing grace and love that God has exhibited through the death of his son to reconcile you to himself because he could not live with the thought to spend eternity without you. And he will begin the process of restoration. Not what you are going to be doing, but what he wants to do within you and through you. And all your works will be an evidence that Jesus is living in you and will bring glory to God. God bless you as you make it your habit to come to the cross every day of your life. Amen? Uh, now I want to ask Anne to have a concluding song and then I will have a brief announcement. We were representing this Sure Harvest Ministry and uh, all of you have the envelopes of the ministry. I would ask you to consider that this group of people, 23% of the global population, need to hear the gospel. The Lord is moving you. The checks can be written to Sure Harvest Ministry. We appreciate your support. In the meantime, while uh, I am still here for another minute, I want to leave with you with something that will continue to grow you in Christ. I was in the church pew for many years. See, I understood all the doctrines. I accepted them. I knew all the doctrines, and I believed that this is the last day's movement. But the time came after many years of being in church, I began to doubt. And I began to ask myself questions. Will I make it to heaven? Am I good enough? Why am I falling into the same sin all over again? Is victory possible? I began to think that it is a hopeless situation, and I was thinking even to leave the church. When God, in his grace and mercy, brought me to the seminar, and the seminar title was Victory in Jesus by Pastor Bill Liversidge, with whom we became very close friends. And as I went through the seminar, the light for me went on. You see, I knew all the doctrines, but it did not give me any assurance or hope. But now I understood the gospel, and I became a different, a new person. That message actually brought me into ministry. And I have a deep desire to share the message of Jesus, the gospel, with every human being. That seminar that I attended now is available on audio CD set, on the book Victory in Jesus, which this book is taken by Review and Herald and distributed around the world. And the DVD Victory in Jesus is played on many networks. I will have all this available in the lobby. 
I recommend to every family to have one of these, either one. What it will do to you, you will find the assurance that he who has begun a good work in you is faithful to bring it to completion. You will begin to live your life full of praise, joy, to the glory of God. It will bring peace to your families, into your personal life with Christ. You will find practical applications how God is gaining victory in your life. I recommend this to everyone. There will be a number of other seminars available. You can take it home today. We are Ministry of Faith. We trust you as you take it. But by the way, I wish I can give it free to everybody, but I cannot because I'm responsible for them. I'll give you another envelope, and you can send a suggested donation for these materials by mail on Monday. Can I trust you? Amen. So it will be available in the lobby or in the outside at the table. Come and see me. In the meantime, Pastor David, thank you for having our ministry again. God bless you all. Don't forget, come to the foot of the cross every day of your life. Amen? Amen. God bless you all.